Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Think Tank, conversations in a digital world with new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have a very, very, very timely topic. This is our last show we're doing before the end of 2020, a time all of us have waited and waited and waited to have on our radar. We can't wait for this year to be over. We're talking today about the work from home revolution. If that revolution hasn't hit you, it's probably hit a heck of a lot of people you know. So let me read a little quote I found in a Forbes.com article, a recent one, and then I'm going to give you some statistics and then I will ask my three esteemed guests to introduce themselves. So here's the buzz. Despite all the positive press about working remote, take that in, some studies suggest it's not what it's cracked up to be. WFH, that's work from home burnout, and the virus itself, we're talking pandemic, have combined to shock the health and well-being of workers worldwide. Okay, let's let that sit there for a second. So yes, the COVID-19 pandemic started a work from home Evolution, I call it evolution, a revolution. It upset everything. In early 2020, and here we are now, nine months later, it's middle of December, many serious questions are in search of serious answers. What are the downsides of WFH? Well, I found a study by a company called Twingate. They studied a thousand remote workers, which is just a tiny iceberg tip of who is working remotely. And they found that remote employment is causing workers to lose a sense of work-life balance during the pandemic. I have a couple of stats for you. 45% of employees reported attending more meetings during the pandemic than when they were in the office compared to 21% who attended fewer meetings. Okay. 40% of employees have experienced mental exhaustion from video calls while working remotely. I've heard a lot of that. And 59% of the employees they talked to felt more cyber secure when they were working in the office compared to at home. So a lot of questions for employers. How can you address these issues for your seasoned workers, the older workers who might have optimized, remote optimized homes, home offices? How about younger employees whose homes are not optimized for remote? They might have a lot of other people living with them, younger people who are trying to go to school at the same time. Does this mean good things or bad things for businesses that are paying for office space that's been empty for a long time? How about brick and mortar retailers that rely on workers in office buildings to come and be their walk-in customers? And how about urban residential overcrowding? I have three wonderful guests today. We have Jonathan Pierce at Deloitte. We have Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP Success Factors, and we have Dimitar Niklev also at SAP Success Factors. And we're going to ask them for their take on the work from home revolution. Welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let's go around the table. Jonathan Pierce, you're up first. Jonathan, pleasure to have you on the show. Would you please take a couple of minutes and tell everybody what you do and a quick overview on why this topic is engaging for you? Go ahead, Jonathan. Thanks, Bonnie. It's a real pleasure to be here uh, with you all today. Um, So I'm a a partner at Deloitte uh, in a human capital practice uh, based in New York, although that matters less and less these days. Uh, <laughs> originally from Sydney and, and and by way of a few other places. What, what I do uh, at Deloitte is lead our practice that we call workforce transformation. It's essentially our, our practice focused on the, the future of work. 
Uh, and what we have seen over this uh, last, uh, what feels like forever, but nine months is, is uh, the acceleration of many trends that we saw uh, already unfolding before 2020 and COVID and the pandemic. Uh, but some of the things that we thought would happen over many years have happened over just a few weeks and months. Uh, I love this quote from Anne-Marie Slaughter in the in the New York Times, not long after uh, the pandemic began, she talked about uh, COVID as a time machine to the future. And I think in many ways we've seen that really play out. And so uh, what that's meant for me this year is the things that we were working on uh, before uh, COVID about the future of work became very much the focus of our thinking of how we would uh, navigate as an organization and help our clients and markets navigate through uh, these new challenges uh, that were sort of thrust upon us, leveraging the work that we'd uh, done in the past. I think what we're seeing now is some really creative thinking about not just how we react, but how we can build a new future of work uh, in terms of the way work gets done, the, where we get it done, how we get it done, who works together, how we collaborate. And I think that's uh, really exciting and a new frontier. And if anything, the silver lining of what's been a very difficult year. Thank you very much. I very appreciate the comment. It, it does seem like forever, but we're seeing a compression of things, as you said, that you and, and perhaps your colleagues on the panel have been thinking about or studying for the future that we didn't know would happen now, right? I love that. We, exactly. Yeah, we didn't really. And, and by the way, just to level set here, everybody talks about the new normal, the new abnormal, the next, I call it the new reality. That's just what it is, the new reality. So there, I've coined that phrase. Dr. Autumn Krauss, we love to have you introduce yourself. You've been on other shows with me over the years. Very happy to see you see you for the first time on Zoom, but hear from you again. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Go ahead, Autumn. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. And I'm, I'm glad to be back and spend some time with you and the, and the panel again. Uh, so I'm a principal scientist in the SAP SuccessFactors HR research team. Uh, we're a team of scientists, practitioners, if you will, so uh, really rooted still in what we know from psychological science, uh, organizational behavior. We're conducting our own applied research on future work trends, um, but really responsible for making sure that that research finds its way to practical recommendations and implica implications uh, for the success factors technologies and for our customers and the market. Um, so as I've been studying well-being, really, uh, for the past many years, that's why I'm so interested in this conversation today about work from home. Uh, my specialization is occupational health psychology, so I focus very much on the health and safety and well-being of workers. And clearly, uh, with this work from home transition, not to mention a, a whole different topic on the essential workers still out there doing their jobs uh, in public, there's been so many well-being implications and just an increased urgency to better support workers uh, in these new environments. So I'm really keen to kind of represent that point of view today and, and uh, if you will, drop a little science on everyone when it comes to what we've known for quite some time uh, when it comes to well-being at work. Autumn, we appreciate science very, very much right now. And for a long time, we've appreciated that. Quick question. What is a principle? We hear about data scientists. Come on. This one wants to be a data scientist. It's going to be a new major in college. And that's where all the, the job security and the money is going to be. What is a principal scientist? How do you define that role? Yeah, so I, I'm responsible for leading the team and establishing what our future of work research agenda is, and then overseeing the execution of that research. So still very much in the data, but I leave the day-to-day -day analysis to my very competent 
uh, colleagues who are data scientists in that regard. Thank you, Autumn. Very interesting. Good inspiration for young ladies looking at STEM education there. Yes. Thank you, Dimitar Niklev, a newcomer like Jonathan Pierce says. Dimitar, we'd love to hear from you. Who are you? What do you do? How did you get to where you are? And where are you today? That's interesting, too. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. So I lead Success Factors Marketing for the EMEA North region. And what really my role is to educate and enable companies on how to provide employees with experiences that recognize their individuality. So every employee is different and every employee has different needs. How did I get here? Well, it's been actually quite the journey. So I studied business and management at Henley Business School, University of Reading, and then I did join SAP. So I actually started my career at SAP and it's now been quite a few years. Why this topic is important for me? Well, you kind of guessed it, we educate and enable companies on how to treat the employees best. And really, this this pandemic has completely transformed the employee experience. And with that, really, companies need a lot more education of how they need to handle this new world of working. New world of working is very aptly put, Dimitar. That's, I like that better than my new reality, which was just in general. New world of working. And Autumn, you brought up such a good point that we talk about remote workers, but there are people who are frontline who couldn't. They can't. They didn't. They weren't allowed to. Without them, we wouldn't be here talking about the remote workers. They had no choice. So there's a different, probably a very different issue of well-being and safety and security and engagement with work and OMG, I've got to go into that hospital, that fire department or their nursing home. And it, it has to happen. So that's not what we're talking about. We have to acknowledge them. So thank you very much, Autumn, for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Now is the part of the show where we're going to go to the opening quotes. I've asked my guest to please send me a quote from a movie or a song. We've got some good ones here. And Jonathan Pierce, you're up first. Jonathan has sent us a quote from Yoda in Star Wars 3, Revenge of the Sith. Yoda, fictional character in the Star Wars universe, first appeared in the 1980 film The Empire Strikes Back. He's a small green humanoid alien who is powerful with the Force. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so here everybody... Anybody hasn't known anything about Star Wars, go look it up. Famous, famous. If you're too young, go ask your parents about it. So here's the quote. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Oh, that gives me chills. Jonathan, what does that have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, great. Good question. I I guess, um, <laughs> well, and I'm not sure that uh, Revenge of the Sith or Star Wars 3 might be my favorite, but who? But whose favorite, who, who is a Star Wars fan, isn't Yoda in terms of the wisdom that comes through. And in this case, uh, what I love about this quote is that um, in conversations I have with especially leaders at the moment, there is this question of will working from home or will digital work or hybrid work or remote work or whatever we want to call it, will it ever be as good as working in person? And I think what I think about that is it will be good when we get good at it. But that means building different ways of leading, different ways of coming together, finding ways to engage that are different from what we had, uh, had built around us in a physical environment. 
uh, leaders finding different ways to be checking in with people and understanding where they're at with their work, finding ways to make what is become invisible more visible. Uh, I, I actually relate it a little bit back to, uh, I think this is an interesting time for Gen Xs. I put myself in that bucket. We remember the, what was the email revolution. Talk about what seems like forever ago. But in the email revolution and, and the birth of the internet in business, for those of us who can remember, uh, laughing at the dinosaurs who could never really get with the flow of email. They were still dictating to their administrative assistants the email to be sent later on that day to the important client or partner or whatever. I, I think what I see happening now is that we have many teams who are starting to really realize how to work with the benefits of uh, digital collaboration platforms, as an example. But what happens is our teams work and create deliverables and documents uh, using synchronous collaboration, a really rapid fire way, but in the end it becomes the leader or the manager who has to have the conference call to review the deliverable or the Zoom meeting to review the deliverable and you start losing all those benefits of real collaborative teamwork in a digital world. And so that's what I mean. We have to forget some of the things that have become the habits of how we work, the habits of how we build culture, the habits of how we lead, and we have to learn new ways of working. And that's going to be a challenge for organizations and for each of us as leaders and team members. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I remember, yes, email was seriously. And then we had the emojis, right? And the little, well, now we have bitmojis, but we had, uh, how do you express emotion, empathy, uh, anger, all caps, no comment, thank you here. <laughs> How do you express feelings in email? Oh, you've got to pick up the phone and call people. It might take more time, but people don't know who you are and they don't get the sense of your humanity. And yet email, and now email is like, who's using email? Who's now, using whether email, we, right. We tweet, we have Insta, we have people. So I, I had a young guest coming on the show next week, uh, very young. And I said, uh, I said, uh, what's your Twitter handle? They said, what? They said, what's your Insta handle to me, Bonnie? I said, well, I'm on it one in a while, but not, well, why aren't you? And I said, wow, have things changed? Very, very true, those pathways. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Appreciate the quote. Let's go to Autumn's quote. She has sent us a quote from, oh, the Bangles. I want to sing this one, but I'm not going to. Maybe I will. The Bangles are an American pop rock band formed in Los Angeles, California in 1981. That's, Autumn, that's 40 years ago, almost. OMG, they recorded singles that reached the U.S. top 10 during the 80s, including the song we're going to quote in a second here, but I won't read that one. Walk Like an Egyptian, I tried in 86. Hazy Shades of Winter in 87, In Your Room 89, Eternal Flame in 1989. By the way, did you know the original band's name was The Colors, spelled European way, C-O-L-O-U-R-S, and then they renamed themselves The Bangs. B-A-N-G-S. And the band was part of the L.A. Paisley underground scene that had groups that were a mixture of 60s influenced rock. Then they discovered another band was called The Bangs. And The Bangs, the real Bangs, the first ones wanted to be paid for the use of the name. And The Bangles said, what? So they dropped the V, they added L-E-S, and they became Bangles. That's how they got their name. So from Colors to bangs, the bangs to bangles. There we go. So here is the song Autumn wants to talk about the line is it's just another manic Monday. Love the song. Autumn, you got to tie this to our, our topic, please. Go ahead. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think you you touched on a bit of it already is how old that song is. Um, so 1986 was when it was released, as I understand it. And what, what I really want to convey with that quote is the fact that our Mondays have been manic for a really long time. I mean, they might look different these days in, in what that mania is for all of us. And the stressor profile is different as we all work from home. Um, but work stress and the study of it happens for decades. And telecommuting also has been around for a really long time. I, I dug it out to try to understand when was the first time this idea of, as we call it now, work from home or WH whatever that is. WFH. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which clearly I don't call it that. Um, but this idea of telecommuting um, was actually initiated as a proposal in 1973 to deal with the energy crisis and trying to resolve the issues with transportation uh, to get everyone to work from home. So my point in all of that is to say that we know a lot already about what good looks like as far as the culture and leadership and how to engage employees remotely, um, perhaps what's changed is the urgency and the intention now and the need um, and increasing the visibility of trying to resolve this for such a larger group of workers. Um, so what I'd really love to be able to see is us start to really embed what we know from good organizational science about how to support workers at work. Um, maybe those methods look different. I think Jonathan raised some really good points there, the, the methods to engage, um, but what we know about good leadership, good culture, and what employees want from their experience we just have to apply that, you know, going forward. These concepts have been around. They've just increased in intensity. Interesting. You you call to mind, Autumn, great points. And thank you for referencing back what Jonathan said. You call to mind my favorite French quote. See if I'm right. Plus I change, plus LMM shows. Jonathan knows the more things change, the more they stay the same. And you're saying we've had the science, we've had the good organizational methodologies. And now it and the idea of Manic Monday, it, it's almost too funny and too sad and too hysterical to, to actually say it with a straight face because COVID hit, the pandemic hit, the world turned inside out, upside down. It was there. We had to make decisions. Everybody did. And nobody was exactly ready for that moment in time with that velocity and that intensity. And we've all been punting and trying to figure it out. Thank you. Great points. And I have a great quote coming up from Dimitar. Will you hear this one? He picked a quote that was, it's an animated character and she's voiced by Ellen DeGeneres and everybody knows what it is. She is the regal blue tank fish in Finding Nemo, a 2003 animated character. And of course, it's Dory. And it's three words. And I think she said them in a song and I don't know the melody, so I'm not going to be singing or even trying, Dimitar. So you're safe. Sorry about singing, Autumn. And you're, yeah. Just another manic Monday. So the quote Dimitar picked is, just keep swimming. Dimitar, what a fabulous quote. Tell us how you found this one. So um, what I would say, Bonnie, is that probably Finding Nemo is one of my favorite childhood movies. And even nowadays, when I look for motivation, I kind of go back and I'm like, wow, just keep swimming. And I think how I relate to it that is in a particular moment of helplessness, Dory comes in and starts singing her words of wisdom for when times get tough and it just keeps swimming. And I think how it relates to today's topic is that what, what we have all felt this year, it's not normal. We've all 
felt helpless. And Mm -hmm. working from home, this has literally switched on from the office one night to home the next day. And it's not normal to work from home, uh, do homeschooling, also feel really helpless in trying to care for your loved ones when you're losing them. So I, I think what we need to take into account is keep swimming for a bit more. It's not going to look like that forever. And really the work from home, it's, it's not how it should look. It's, it's not optimal right now. So it would look completely different in the months and years to come. So just keep swimming a bit longer. I love it. I think all the quotes go well to very, very together. I have to tell our listeners that we don't sit around a table, as far as I know, and say, okay, I think we'll do a Dory quote. I think we'll do a Bangles quote. I think we'll do a Star Wars quote. Each of my guests picks the quote based on their take on the topic and their cultural references they're comfortable with. They, they know the movies they've seen, songs they've heard. And sometimes they just all fit together beautifully. So thank you all very much. I love when this works so well. Let's go to the formal round table part. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Think Tank, digital conversations in a, conversations in a digital world. I call these digital conversations because we're here on Zoom and that's what it is. Our topic is the work from home revolution. And it's probably easier to say work from home than WFH Autumn. So I think we're just going to call it out with its, yes, we know. Okay. My special guests are Jonathan Pierce at Deloitte. Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP Success Factors and Dimitar Niklev. He spells his last name N-I-K-L-E-V if you're looking him up. And Autumn is K-R-A-U-S-S. And Jonathan is P-E-A-R-C-E. There you can find them all now. I'm sure they're on social media. And we're talking about what the implications are for all of us, for leaders, for workers, for families. How do we address going forward? We've been in this nine months, so let's see where it's going to end up. So, I'm going to pick a statement from Jonathan's list he sent me before the show. I've selected statement number one. I'm going to read it. Jonathan, take about two and a half minutes or so. Josh, our engineer, is not going to cut you off. I made Josh promise. If you go past two and a half minutes, and then I'm going to ask Autumn, who's sitting virtually next to you, Jonathan, to agree or disagree with what you said, Jonathan. And then Dimitar, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with either Jonathan and or Autumn. So you have even more good stuff to think about. So here is what Jonathan told me. He said, even though we've faced the same challenges over the last nine months, different leaders, different organizations, different commentators have made radically different pronouncements about the best pathway from here. And he poses the question, who is right? Anyone? Everyone. Very nicely put. Jonathan Pierce, you're up. Talk to us. So what's been really interesting, sort of being in the middle of this, talking to lots of leaders, has been the strength of the perspectives on what all this means for us and how quickly some of those came forward. And I've been trying to help leaders understand why is it that as they look at their competitors, as they look at other leaders, that even in the same industries and sectors, different leaders and organizations are making very different um, prognostications about the future. And and just to give you an idea about what I mean, uh, we have had organizations very quickly and all through this crisis talk about uh, work from home as a business disruption, the need to get back to the way it was as quickly as we can. I call this group the skeptical prevailers. (laughs) They're like this, and a good example, just recently in the press, Reed Hastings of Netflix talking about there's almost no redeeming feature 
to this uh, remote work, digital work phenomenon. We have to get back to collaborate, to innovate the way we used to in physical space. And those organizations and leaders are very focused on how can we do that? How can we do that safely, but as quickly as possible return to the way things were? I think at the other end of the spectrum, some leaders came out very quickly talking about this is a tipping point moment that we will never go back to the way things were, that we will never be shackled to physical space in the way we have been, that the benefits of a more distributed workforce, of a diverse workforce, of accessing the world's best talent from wherever it is, is too good to pass up. And this was the push we needed to realize a trend that we saw coming. And I think about um, uh, Pinterest uh, is a good example. And, and their CFO, Todd Morgenfeld, talking about that distributed workforce from a wider range of backgrounds and how that will help us innovate more, almost the exact opposite. Uh, and then in the middle, I think what I've been thinking about is these dynamic stabilizers, companies who are saying, look, what we need to be able to do is, is acknowledge that this is no passing storm. We have to get our people and our teams be able to make some decisions about this year and next year and where they're going to live and where should they move and should they where should they put their kids in school. At the same time, as we're thinking long-term and doing some longer-term strategic thinking about what is this going to mean for us in our competitive environment, with our culture, with our unique differentiators as an organisation, as we sort of think about that long-term future. Acknowledging it could be very different, but we don't yet know how. And I've been trying to help leaders understand why is it that their peers um, in the same industries are making such different, uh, uh, taking such different positions. And I think it comes down to how do you see the benefits of, of virtual and remote work? Uh, how, how much do you appreciate them as being accretive to your particular organization? And how surmountable do you see the challenges? And do you see a pathway to um, getting through some of the challenges to productivity or culture or leadership or, or some of those? Um, and so I think it's a really useful frame to take. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Let's go around the table. Dr. Autumn Krauss, agree or disagree with Jonathan? You're up. I, I think that Jonathan's uh, taxonomy, if you will, of, of the different reactions across organizations is really well considered. Uh, and I think there is that piece of what is it about what was happening in the organization prior to that would then inform the reaction they're having. Of course, that's where my head goes, like what predicts their reaction and, and what infrastructure they have in place, not just technology and process, but culture uh, to be able to be successful in that environment. And maybe some of the ones that are skeptical are skeptical for good reason because they were more thrown into it than prepared and maybe recognizing they just aren't, uh, don't have that infrastructure across all three legs of the stool to be successful going forward. Um, the other comment I would make here and um, would be curious to get um, both of the other panelists reaction to this is, uh, I've heard so much in the media and I'm sure you're reading the same press that this is the grand experiment around work from home. And you know, as a research psychologist, I really think it's a crappy experiment. I, I don't actually think that it's a good experiment at all. Um, if, if you really think, I mean, it's a great example of work from home during a pandemic. Right. Not a good example of work from home generally. And so um, one of the things I think a lot about is that this isn't a good realistic preview for either organizations or employees about what work from home could be uh, in other circumstances. If we think from the employee perspective, you know, our kids might be home with us. Normally they wouldn't. We'd have all the whole household home. Normally they might not be. 
we'd have abilities to go to the gym or to see friends for lunch or other aspects to work around just working uh, to engage other parts of our well-being and, and have more sustainability in this approach. So, and then from an organizational standpoint, a lot of, there's been lots of case studies that the increased productivity or at least sustained productivity is evidence, but at what cost and is that sustainable long-term? So, um, my, my big takeaway on this one is that, yes, maybe some data and insights can be gathered, but I, I would really be hesitant to draw too strong conclusions about the value of this arrangement going forward. It's just a crappy experiment. <laughs> I, really, I, really, I really love that. Do you mind me adding in a point, Bonnie? You go ahead. I don't want to interrupt the flow here, but I just love this point, Autumn, that um, as I've watched the headlines, uh, we've seen so many organizations want to pulse their workers and, and get and survey them and understand preference. Like, well, what are they, what are they going to want going forward? And what's been really interesting is I think it started uh, with, this is very difficult. It was sort of an adjustment period. I think we got into the summer, at least in the Northern hemisphere is what I noticed. And it was like, uh, virtual work is great. It's, it's, it's fantastic. 80% of workers sort of didn't want to go back full time into the office, no matter what happened with the pandemic. But, you know, when we get to the other side, we got to the fall and people started, I, I don't know if it was people thinking about kids going back to school or it was just, it was dragging on too long. But all of a sudden it was, the headlines were virtual work is terrible. It's too stressful. We have to find it. We have to get back. And I think that's really to your point that preferences have been shifting around a lot and, and it's not been a good uh, environment to, to understand what's going to be preferred and better and more useful longer term. At the same time, it does seem like there have been really a lot of lessons learned about what kind of virtual work practices work well and what kind of virtual work practices don't work well. But that's not the same as what are we all going to prefer when we get to the other side of this. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Dimitar, it's your turn. We'd love to know. You've got a lot to chew on here. What do you think? Yes. So I probably would just build upon what Autumn said, because what we recently did a study with the Society of Human Resources Management and Oxford Economics, and we did discover that um, productivity actually remained quite unchanged post the pandemic, well, not post the pandemic, but post the starting from work from home. So I, I think the companies that were very skeptical, and I think they probably would not let their employees work from home at all before that. So I think they now have pretty much a slap in the face because we can see that actually productivity is the same. So I, I think they now really need to look into how they can adjust for the future. And I think one other point that I would like to add, people actually have enjoyed some of the benefits of working from home and it has been identified as a talent magnet, magnet for the future. So I, I think we would never go back to a world where no, you can't work from home at all. I, I think the future is here and while Autumn said it has really been a crappy experiment, I think it's here <laughs> to stay. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I'm going to go to our next. I'm looking at the clock. I want to make sure we get a lot of topics in here, Dr. Autumn Krauss. And thank you, Jonathan, for the good first topic around the table. Autumn, I'm looking at your statement number two here. Very interesting. You say digital well-being 
is a critical consideration as people transition to work from home circumstances. It refers to how we can have a healthy relationship with work, technology, and create space to quote unquote switch off. And I'm thinking, is it really possible? Autumn, you're up. Why don't you take a couple minutes and then I'll ask Dimitar to agree or disagree with you. And Jonathan will be the third on that round. Go ahead, Autumn. For sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, So this is a specific niche area that we've been studying and thinking a lot about as it relates to work from home. I mean, it would have been important regardless for all of us to have space to switch off and have healthy relationships with technology at work. But when we move to work from home, that I think has become even more complicated and hard. Uh, So we really apply a lot of interesting models from some of our colleagues in organizational psychology, particularly doctors uh, Lacey Barber and Arla Day. They've come up with this model. I'd be curious to hear if feedback from the panelists, it's called the I-paradox triad. And basically what it refers to is that we have three psychological needs at work, that work technology can serve for us. It can make us uh, be more autonomous, which is a good thing. It can make us be more productive, again, a good thing. And it can cr- increase social connectivity if employed in certain ways. Um, the paradox is that even though it can create all those things, it also can hinder those exact things too, make us feel less autonomous, less productive, and less connected. And so the real challenge for organizations is to figure out how to create those conditions where work technology facilitates those psychological needs rather than hinders them. Um, And to throw another key concept into the mix is this idea of telepressure. And I'm sure we've all experienced that. It's a term used to describe how we feel like we have to connect, how we have to be present, how um, maybe we're working internationally and we have to check early in the morning or late at night to see if anything's come through because we don't want decisions made without us or to be seen like we're not present. And so, again, this can really hinder our ability to switch off. It's a cultural issue. It's not a technology issue. It really requires us as organizations to build the norms and the leadership role modeling and put HR practices in place that show it's okay for all of us to switch off. Because the science absolutely shows that switching off does give us that recovery and our ability to be more successful, have more capacity going forward. Um, so that's my big uh, talking point here is just to say the value of digital well-being long term and how we have to figure out how to do this better if we are going to be working from home. Thank you, Autumn. Dimitar, you're virtually sitting next to Autumn. Love to get your thoughts on this. Go ahead. So, Bonnie, I actually agree fully with Autumn. I think we are now always on. It's it's very hard for us to switch off. I think what we used to have before is we used to have a commute that we used as a way to distinguish work and home. And with the loss of that commute, we have now gained more time. But what, what we use that time for, actually, let's just answer one more email. And with that, we are creating quite a lot of unhealthy habits. And I think what we need to really do is we need to still incorporate the commute into our lives. And there has been quite a lot of research showing that ultimate commute time, and it's not literally you pretending that you're commuting, but the ritual to mark like a kind of a commute is the ultimate commute time is approximately 16 minutes. So there is quite a lot of suggestions that maybe you should start the day with spending 16 minutes to build your day and then also end your day. So have a specific ritual that ends your day. So what I have been doing is when it gets to the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out for a walk. And with that, I know that I need to stop and switch off. 
And I, I think that works well, for me at least. Very, very interesting. I, didn't, I think I built that into my routine already, but I didn't think about it as a, a formality of switching off. I, as a broadcaster, I've been working from a home office for years and years and years. But interesting for me, Zoom is new because I did radio on the phone. Autumn, you remember everything was, was call-in. So I couldn't see how people were thinking and when they were ready for an end of a sentence or a paragraph or whether they had something else. And I had to imagine, I had to hear the, the inaudible, audible nuances of when to come in next. And now I get, so for me, Zoom is a treat because I get to see people I have never seen in my life. And this is, but anyway, um, I'm the anomaly, Jonathan Pierce. We'd love to get your thoughts on the switching off routine or phenomena. What do you think? I, um, I, I, for one, I'm enjoying in the New York City snow at the moment. The fact that I'm not commuting is a, is a godsend, but um, I do, I do feel that this, you know, moving from the bed to the kitchen to the uh, work table, <laughs> um, it doesn't create this idea of a, a separation of a decompression of the of the time for introspection and renewal that we need, especially as we transition from activities that are um, about the home to the ones that are about work and even within our workplaces that we're not transitioning between, you know, one team to another in physical space and resetting uh, our heads and it, it can make the day feel like a never ending sprint. And I think the one the one thing I really wanted to lean in on, I loved the three-part model you were talking about, Autumn. Um, it was, let me get it right, it was to be autonomous and productive and connected. I wanted to pick on this autonomous piece. We've been, I've been also talking about a three. It was sort of effectiveness, efficiency, and empowerment, and it was the empowerment that sounds like the autonomous uh, to me. And this idea that um, this is a cultural shift we need to make, that workers feel empowered to say no to the meetings, to the Zoom meetings I don't need to be a part of, uh, to be able to put the boundaries around my day that work for me and my life. And I think there's a lot of pressure to be showing up visibly because it feels otherwise we're so invisible and our work is invisible and people don't know that we're here and we're working and we're working hard unless we dial into the call or get on the Zoom or whatever it is. And I think that's a cultural shift. And, and in the work that we've been doing, there is some sort of leadership uh, and, and tone from the top elements here, but actually I think it very much comes down to teams and team leaders and the way leaders bring together their teams to collaborate and the and the and the empowerment they create for their workers to make those kinds of choices is at the heart of something more sustainable here. Thank you very much. Autumn, excellent topic. Thank you. I'm going to move on to one from Dimitar here. Dimitar, I'm looking at your statement number two. Let's talk about skills. Dimitar says, many organizations have put in place digital-based upskilling and reskilling programs for their remote workforces. However, a small gray area is the lack of on-the-fly employee development usually facilitated in the physical office space. Dimitar, I'm going to let you expand this for a couple minutes, and then we'll see what Jonathan and Autumn have to say. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. So I would say that employees are very eager to reskill. We recently surveyed over 1,500 full-time employees around the world, and actually three-quarters of them are more motivated to improve their technical and professional skills as a result of COVID-19. However, 
We also did discover that in some cases, training programs are actually being overlooked at a time where they, they have never been more critical, despite employees' motivation to reskill. And what I would say with digital programs, there is also the lack of social interactions with mm-hmm. colleagues. And that can pose a big challenge for new joiners to feel comfortable to ask questions to their colleagues. So that is something that is very much facilitated in an office environment with on-the-fly learning. So organizations need to look beyond just online courses. They need to pair employees. They need to set up coaching, mentoring. And really, that needs to become a key part of upskilling and upskilling and reskilling. Thank you very much. Interesting topic and comments, Dimitar, because we all know separate from remote working, separate from the pandemic, we've had the concept of AI, machine learning, our jobs are going to be replaced. We've all been reading warnings. How many years, everybody? Jonathan and Autumn and Dimitar, yes, lawyers won't be lawyers anymore. They'll all be AI'd and, and doctors. The diagnoses are being made faster and more accurately by, right, by the correct algorithmically programmed AI decision makers or input makers, uh, data readers, if you will, Autumn, and people are have been scared about what are my jobs. So the idea of reskilling when you have a real person on a remote work platform and you're going to help reskill them probably is a relief to people. Yeah, I think they're going to keep me around for a while. I'm sure working hard. Let's go around the table about the upskilling. Jonathan Pierce, love to hear from you for about two minutes. Go ahead. You know, it's really interesting to me. Um tying Dimitar, your your comment to Bonnie, what you were saying, uh, that in the context of all that research about the sort of automation of work and the impact of that on, on the half-life of skills, I think one of the things that I believe is this human capabilities becomes what's uh, long-lasting. We call them enduring human capabilities. But those are the things that actually have been the most challenged in this environment for, for many of us. It's, it's the how do we connect? It's how do we collaborate? It's how do we communicate? And some of the ways that we do that have been very much, you know, brought up uh, in, in, in being together. Um, I wanted to sort of uh, pick up on an idea that was, I guess, inspired by your, your statement, Dimitar. It's this, there's the, there's the, there's the, coaching in the flow of work. I think I totally agree with that. I also think one of the things that I've experienced in this model is that work has got a lot more optimized for outcomes. And so what we've seen is teams actually, if we if we do the network analysis in organizations and look at how organizations were interacting and communicating uh, before COVID and after, uh, what has happened is a sort of uh, concentration of those interactions amongst teams around work outputs. So very much a sort of productivity push. But what's been lost is the broader networks across the enterprise that actually sometimes do the spur the innovation or uh, bring a cross-functional or diverse perspective to an issue. One of the things that I've also been seeing is that this idea of trying to gigify work, like bring Mm -hmm. team members out of their full-time roles into other kinds of projects that they might not get exposed into in the roles that they're usually performing, but find ways for them to do that uh, and and mobilize talent across the organization more flexibly um, is a real opportunity. 
and technology that is a technology enablement that we can put in place as organizations to let people see those opportunities to be a part of those projects to let leaders see who could come and help me in the thing that i'm trying to achieve and that be a great way to create the kinds of networks that we've in some ways lost by not having the water cooler and not having the cafeteria and not having uh the the, the group meetings that we might have had in the past thank you very much autumn join us please yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, Demitar, you've raised some good points, both both upsides and downsides, I suppose, to uh, the move to work from home when it comes to reskilling. Uh, and I see both for sure. We, we're actually in the middle of a learning research program with about 40 global organizations and asking them what the implications of COVID and work from home have been on learning. And of course, they were like putting out fires initially. All those in-person learnings needed to go remote. And, and admittedly, a lot of also learning budgets got slashed. I mean, the discretionary development programs and really focus much more on compliance-based needs for when it comes to learning because policies are changing or, or things along on those lines. Um, so I could see uh, the downside to that going forward as it relates to trying to shift to, to online learning. Um, but I also see a great upside and I see a democratization of learning and development. Um, so a lot of organizations have had hybrid workforces in place. They've had huge corporate operations like we do at SAP, but then plenty of us who have been working from home the whole time like I have been. And so uh, by moving those types of development programs, which uh, as an example, we have this year, it's allowed so many more of us to engage and to be able to uh, mentor each other and get involved and not feel left out as a lot of those programs have been happening at corporate headquarters, but mm-hmm. us that aren't, you know, at the mothership don't get to participate in. <laughs> so just two points of view, you know, in, in the equation. Thank you very much. Interesting. Great conversation. We're not quite done yet. Let's go around the table, starting with Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan, love to have a 60-second prediction from you on the topic, the future of the work from home evolution. Will the revolution turn into the evolution? I keep interchanging those words. I'm so sorry. So you can go out as far as 2025 if you dare. Jonathan, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Let's hear your prediction. Go. So I think if there's, we talked about, you know, the different prognostications about the future. I think if there's one thing that I see clearly is that this, will it be work from home or will it be physical is not going to be the conversation. It's going to be about what is this new hybrid of being in the office when it counts to collaborate, being uh, where it's best for me, whatever that means for me personally, to do concentrative and collaborative work. And it's going to be about orchestrating that hybrid approach to work as, as the next normal. Thank you. I think that's a very welcome prediction from you, Jonathan. Let's go to Dr. Autumn Krauss. What do you predict? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, I can't believe you're making us do this, Bonnie, because if anyone was doing <laughs> predictions the beginning of 2020, I mean, are we just all tabling and putting those in the fire at this point? I love it. Seem like something we should be doing. But, um, I did try, um, and I went kind of a little bit to the dark side. I um, was thinking that if we don't get a better grasp on how to make this sustainable for workers, uh, and, and recognize the potential real burnout potential uh, that we might see some pretty big uprising from what are traditionally pretty quiet corporate white collar professional employees to demand some type of work hour stipulations or rewards or benefits 
associated with working from home and, and try to build structures that are going to allow us to be more successful and, and healthy during this time. So it's really left to organizations to sort this out. And if they don't, I think workers will start to take more of an issue with it. Uh, and we'll hear more of a voice or, or clamoring for regulation to better support them in this process. Thank you very much. Great point. Dimitar, you get the last prediction. What do you see on the horizon in the crystal ball? Go ahead. So I think what I see, Bonnie, is that big urban hubs would not be the norm. I, I feel like a lot of them would disappear to have a smaller neighborhood-based kind of working environment. And we're no longer going to have the big city economy. Oh, okay. Brief and to the point. Thank you very much. Right there. Thank you very much. That's, that's one of the shortest predictions we ever had, but we appreciate it. Let me go to gallery view here. I want to do some thank you to the three of you, Jonathan Pierce at Deloitte. Pleasure to meet you. Dr. Autumn Krauss, always wonderful to speak with you. And Dimitar Nikolov, lovely to make your acquaintance. And thank you for joining us. And let's do some thank yous here. We have to thank, let's put our hands together. Come on, we show some appreciation. Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP for sponsoring this series. Brad's been sponsoring series with me for so many years, I can't even remember all the names of the series, but he always brings a great one, and we're loving Think Tank. And thank you for support for this specific episode from Vita, Sammy, and Natalie Butlin at Deloitte, and to Victoria Rochard at SAP. They all worked hard behind the scenes to help us get this together. Round of applause here. And thank you to our engineers, Ryan Treasure at Voice America, World Talk Radio, VP of Operations, started us off. And one of my favorite engineers, Josh Randell, is with us right now, keeping the show going. So I want to say thank you to everyone. Think Tank Conversations in a Digital World. Let's just hope and try to have a good Happy, healthy, that's one of Autumn Krauss's favorite words. Healthy, safe, and I'm going to say it, sane holiday season. And let's all do our best to contribute to a heck of a better year in 2021. Thank you all. Wave goodbye. Happy holidays. Bye from Think Tank. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, conversations in a digital world. Presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.